It's the end of September 1939. Poland is being attacked by the Wehrmacht to the west and the Red Army to the east. The Polish army goes underground and hundreds of resistance organizations start conspiring against the occupying forces. But the army and its soldiers are not the only ones who are building a new, secret state. the plane roaring down out of control and then crashing into silence. A state of war has existed. It would be still more foolish to lose heart and courage. Thousands of people like me perished. Some of us survived. I am one of those. Untold stories from the secret state against all odds. My name's John Beecham and I'm a journalist based in Warsaw. The occupiers don't waste time with implementing a new order. They take over factories and other industrial centers, create a new administration and make new laws whose defiance leads to one punishment only, death. On the other hand, the Poles hastily managed to establish an alternative dimension to the harsh realities of occupation. As a response to the closure of most schools and the introduction of a ban in the tuition of the Polish language, history and geography, the country's entire education system, from primary schools right up to universities, all follow suit. Classes take place in private apartments. This may seem nothing out of the ordinary in a time when the COVID pandemic has its grip on the globe, but back then, all education was practically outlawed no matter where it took place, with teachers and lecturers dicing with death if they were ever caught breaking the law. The level of social disobedience is considerable. One and a half million children take part in clandestine classes. More often than not, state officials and bureaucrats take up false identities and have counterfeit papers to prove it. There are deeply covert political parties. Government ministries carry on with their work. Let's return here to Stefan Korbański, who took part in the first sitting of the underground Sejm, Poland's lower house of parliament. Due to the conspiratorial conditions, the session took place at a private doctor's surgery. On the 7th of February 1940, I snuck through the streets, a little excited, to attend the first meeting of representatives from three political factions. Taking utmost care and all precautions along the way, I found myself on Aleja Niepodległości, Independence Avenue, standing in front of the doors of the apartment where the meeting was to take place. A young lady in a medical apron opened the door, smiling knowingly. We exchanged passwords and I was let in. The mood among the gathered was serious and focused. We eyed each other in earnest. Soldiers at politicians, politicians at soldiers. The first meeting concentrated on a number of goals which we wanted to achieve, as well as the organization of the country under occupation. We all thought that we had to continue the fight from the underground. Not only does the fighting carry on, the Prime Minister, in exile in France and then in England, carries on with his governmental duties. 
A new president is sworn in. Communications with the homeland, now overrun by the Nazis and Soviets, is made possible thanks to a network of couriers armed with false papers who manage to take orders and reports across borders. We're doing what we can, and we can't do any more, as it's not humanly possible said the Polish Prime Minister in exile, Władysław Sikorski, to his fellow countrymen in London. Korboński said that society needs governance to find laws and regulations which were skewed by the occupiers. Once everyone knew that there was a centralized underground state, almost everyone without hesitation carried out the orders which were given to them. Society longed for authority. Professor Anita Prażmowska from the London School of Economics describes the Polish fight for freedom and the character of the Polish underground state. Poland has got a very, if we talk about 1939 onwards, very recent model of fight for independence. You know, most adults, in particular the military leaders, would have still experienced the pre-First World War period where Poland wasn't independent. So that desire for independence is very, very strong, uniquely strong. It is a sort of diffused movement. You cannot impose discipline on, on movement that is so, you know, the resistance movement cannot be centralized by its nature. That do in certain localities and areas action was taken against Germans, but that was not a policy as a whole. And the home army saw itself and the delegatura saw themselves as holding authority until the end of the war. And the terrible truth was that were individual commanders or people outraged by what they were experiencing, who did occasionally plan either attacks on trains or bridges or individual men in the Gestapo, when attacks took place, the German reaction to it was of such severity. If something happened, 100 hostages were shot in public spaces. If you walk through Warsaw, it reminds you Schucher Avenue, or what the Germans called Strasse der Polizei, Police Street, in the heart of the German district of Warsaw. And it's in fact Schucher Avenue which is the most horrifying address in Warsaw during World War II. It was here that the massive pre-war ministry of religious affairs and education, where I'm standing now, was turned into the Gestapo headquarters. The SS moved in next door. Most of Poland's territory is incorporated into the Reich, while remaining areas become occupied territory. Poles are deprived of all administration. The president of Warsaw is arrested in the city hall and is killed in hitherto unknown circumstances. New laws state that any disobedience against Germany and the Germans is met with one punishment death. The occupiers take over the largest companies and factories, take control over the distribution of goods and store supplies. Prices and wages are set. Jews have their entire property confiscated and shortly after ghettos are created in most Polish cities. 
Hunger is commonplace. Rations in Warsaw amount to just 135 calories a day in the first months of the occupation. For the next five years, Poles live in fear, hunger and danger. One in five Polish citizens will die, six million of them, including three million Jews. Almost all of them are civilians. Torture chambers and death cells are set up. After the war, it is decided that the former Gestapo prison, whose entrance is just across the courtyard from where I'm standing now, is to be left untouched. And it is to this day that the walls still have etchings made by the inmates of this terrible place, where terror, suffering and pain are still very much alive. This interior reflects the fear of the reality of everyday occupation. When leaving home in the morning, you simply didn't know whether it would be the last goodbye you said to your family. The Germans often performed random checks and roundups in the street. If you were lucky, you would be sent to labor camps in the Reich. Those who weren't so lucky were sent to the Auschwitz concentration camp. From the outset of the occupation, the Gestapo were particularly interested in individuals who were conspiring with the underground. Politicians from pre-war Poland were interrogated, former military officers were searched. The intelligentsia was persecuted. There are some pretty horrible sound effects in the background, but in fact, I wouldn't be surprised if these sounds were actually really coming out of this space. We're in an interrogation room, there's a desk in front of me, there are papers, there's a gun, Nazi uniforms hanging up in the corner. Obviously, there's a portrait of Adolf Hitler on the wall as well. But the one thing which really caught my attention here is the cupboard which is full of instruments of torture. Here we have iron handcuffs. So we have a gas mask here which was used to kind of strangle or choke or deprive uh, people who are being kept here of oxygen, of air. You can see here there's some kind of pincer-like instruments. And of course, a number of whips, sticks, what seems to be some sort of gag which would have been used I really can't say much more it's, just, it's absolutely horrendous okay. I'm in cell number 6 and this is a cell which was one of ten for solitary confinement. The walls are pretty much untouched since the end of the war, since the Germans left this building. There are scratches on the walls, various messages, surnames, dates even, prayers and poems. Light bulb just hangs from the ceiling. Uh, it's a bunk, kind of rough linen, 
which what appears to be rather large blood stain and a pillow filled with hay probably absolutely no idea I don't even want to know Thousands of people made their way through these cells, with many dying during interrogation. One of the inmates of this prison was the leader of the Polish secret state, Jan Piekałkiewicz. Before he was taken into custody at the end of 1942, he formally managed the entire workings of the Polish secret state. As head of the government, he was extremely effective. He set up a conspiratorial radio station which enabled continuous communication with London. He established underground courts which passed death sentences, not only on informers, but also SS generals. He also founded institutions which were to help Jews who had managed to flee from the clutches of the Nazis. In one of these cells, Piekałkiewicz was held for almost three months. He was put under intense interrogation and invigilation. He was beaten, strangled, deprived of sleep. His in-depth knowledge, all the names, surnames, whereabouts of his colleagues, all of this was key to breaking up the Polish underground. He didn't say a word. He died of exhaustion in the Pavyak prison, where he was denied any medical assistance. The Germans were all too aware of the reach of the Polish secret state. Gestapo agents from their HQ on Szucha found out the code names of 280 Polish agents in the field across Europe, but they couldn't join the dots and work out who was who in reality. They also weren't aware that one of their prisoners was an individual whom the Allies called the person that won the war. Thousands of people like me perished. Some of us survived. I am one of those. This podcast contains materials from the archives of Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty. Produced by Free Range Productions for the Big Histories Foundation. This production of the first 10-episode series of Untold Stories from the Secret State is financed by the Polish Ministry of Foreign Affairs as part of the Public Diplomacy 2020, a new dimension competition. More information about the series can be found at www.secretstate.pl. <laughs>